Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Kool-Aids. Welcome to Barca Talk. I'm your host, Gabriel Quiroga, here in the Spanish capital. In today's episode, Greg joins me as we review the Espanol match last night as Barca won its 27th La Liga title. We give our final thoughts on Busquets' retirement. And before we get into all those topics, a quick word from our sponsor, NordVPN. Are you tired of hackers and cyber criminals snooping around your online activities? Do you want to safely access your favorite shows and content from anywhere in the world? Then you need NordVPN, the best VPN on the market. And the good news is that there's an exclusive birthday deal just for you. Buy NordVPN now and win extra subscription time. With NordVPN, you can protect your online activity and keep your private information away from prying eyes. And if you're traveling abroad, don't worry. Connect to a NordVPN server in your home country and safely enjoy content as if you never left. So what are you waiting for? Visit nordvpn.com slash Barca. Now to get this special birthday deal. Shield your data from snoops and criminals with NordVPN's state-of-the-art encryption. Safely listen to podcasts, stream shows, or simply browse in complete privacy. Again, visit nordvpn.com slash Barca. The link is in the show notes. Get NordVPN now and enjoy a safe and private online experience. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So we got a jam-packed show. So many things happened within the last 24 hours. Craig McGuff joins me. Craig, let's start off. How are we doing? Really good. Really good. Uh, it's been a long, it's been a long season, hasn't it? 
It's been a long season, but thankfully, I think this one's going to go down in in history because I, I, I'm not sure I saw this coming at the start of the season. So, yeah, in a very, very joyful mood today. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. I'm, I, I can't complain. We have a bank holiday here in Madrid, San Isidro, nice. patron saint of Madrid. I Another mean, one. This, and this month is uh, three bank holidays, so can't, can't complain Incredible. too much. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, and, and also I was just in uh, Porto this past weekend. Highly, highly, highly recommend the city. Had a fantastic time. Uh, a friend of mine was working remote there, so I was able to take advantage of her glorious flat over there. So last, you know, before we get into the Espanol match, I really want to just quickly touch on Busquets' retirement. Mm-hmm. Remy did an absolutely fantastic job uh, talking about Busquets' retirement and the questions going forward. So check that out from Friday's episode. But really quick, you know, we, we've kind of gone back and forth in the last couple of years about Busquets' role, his performance in big matches throughout the season. And there is no doubt, Craig, that obviously he is one of the best defensive midfielders we've ever seen. You know, we have to give him his flowers. Obviously, you know, we were talking and having this debate in our WhatsApp group for the Patreons. And, you know, it is an interesting dynamic, right? It's on one hand, you know, you you respect and admire all he's done through his career as a Barca captain and player. But also for me, it just kind of leaves a little sour taste on how it, you know, these last two seasons. But overall, just what a fantastic career for Busquets. Incredible. Like there's there's people who change the game, isn't there? You know, there's people that come and go who are good at the game, and there's and then there's the occasional select few who come and change the game for for whatever reason. And those changes can be tactical. There can be innovations in how we play the game. There can be things like the invention of football boots you know Johnson that played for Liverpool that brought in the Predators and stuff there's lots of different ways you can change the game and I think Sergio Busquets will go down in history as one of those people that changed the game and I think my overriding emotions are one I'm incredibly grateful that I got to see him because I think he will be one of those players that without being too hyperbolic about it I think if you don't see Sergio Busquets you probably aren't able to appreciate just what he did um and he did it in a very congested, very difficult part of the pitch. And then my over, my over, my second overriding emotion is that I'm really glad it happened this season, not last season. And I know that we will debate whether he went one year, two year, three years too long, whether he could go again. I, actually, I, I definitely think that the time is right. I definitely feel like from Sergi Busquets' perspective himself, I think he got very lucky this season in that we put a lot more legs around him. And I think he's performed well this season. I said it in the WhatsApp group. It might have been to you directly. I can't remember. I said he has, in my opinion, he hasn't performed well enough to go again. Like I'm under no illusions at the time is right to cut the cloth. But I would have had a very different opinion of the ending of Sergi Busquets at Barca if it had been last season than this one. I think he's he's added value this year. Um, and if you contrast it with PK directly, just because that's the two that are so close to each other, it's worlds apart in terms of how they're going to leave us. But irreplaceable, completely irreplaceable. I think one of the biggest problems that we would have is if we tried to replace him because I genuinely don't believe he can. I think he's that much of a pioneer of his position. What a guy, what a legend. Yeah, and and I echo those sentiments. And, you know, I I was listening to Mariana on her podcast in Spanish uh, talking about, Mm. you know, this idea of trying to find a player to replace Busquets and you just can't, you know, I just think, you know, it's, it's more of a group effort rather than just one player to fill this void that's going to be happening going forward. And you brought up a great point. It's like these moments in football where it was a before and after, right. And central defense midfielder has always in my idea, you know, before Busquets and and this idea of Pep's Barca, 
a clunky position. You know, you had one job essentially, you know, you know, man the middle, slide tackle, and maybe distribute, right? Maybe in that type of order, right? And Busquets yeah. definitely brought the elegance and class and precision passing, uh, especially at the, you know, when he was at his best. And so it's, you know, one of those things that, you know, as Remy mentioned, you know, it's one of those things if you're not looking for it, sometimes it just doesn't jump off. But when you are watching it, you're just seeing the distribution. And like you said, in a congested area and it demanded, right. That precision, especially with working with Xavi and Iniesta in the glory years. And, you know, as I always said, those three always seemed as though they were four, the way they were able to move and understand each other. And I think that was a lot of the secret of their success. Now I brought to you this interesting uh, topic about this. I said the Mount Rushmore defensive midfielders, Mm -hmm. I have mine. And these, you know, these are just, you know, again, I always preface this idea, this topic is, if we're going to play the aliens, you know, who am I going to, you know, pick to help try to defend and man the middle. And obviously we both, I'm sure have Busquets in there. So there's 100%. three spots left. Right. And you have, you also had an interesting point. I think this is why we're so in tune with our footballness is you ha- you made an interesting point is that 1998 is kind of like where you really uh, France 98 is where football really kind of uh, etched into you, right? Where there's a moment yeah. there that going forward, I, w- I would definitely believe the same for me. I mean, 94, yeah, I remember, but 98 is when I was like, I was really into football. So yeah. give me your first defensive midfielder on the Mount Rushmore for you. I think keeping the theme of people who change the game. So for me, Busquets is number one, greatest to ever do it. Sure. But th- we've done the Busquets bit. The, the other person in my lifetime that's truly changed that position although in a, in a much different way, is Makalele. And I think I'd be astounded if you don't have him as well. In fact, I know you do because I'm looking at your list. Um, <laughs> but I think, to, to me, Makalele, Busquets does the beautiful side of that position and does it very well. Makalele did the horrible side of that position. And whilst I don't appreciate it the same, Jesus, it was effective. And I think every team that he was in was better for him. So for me, yeah, Claude Makalele would be on there albeit slightly grudgingly in terms of how I see football as a viewer. Sure, sure. Sure. And I and I have him on the list too. And you know, that's the whole debate too in, in Real Madrid lore is before Makalele and after Makalele, you know, and and the success or lack of success when they let him go because Perez just thought he was just a normal midfielder. And anyone yeah. watching would know that he's not. And he was definitely a game changer. Uh I I have him on my list. The next person I have is Vieira. For me, you know, Vieira was a mix of physicality, length. And something, especially in those early 2000 Arsenal teams, which was, you know, uh, you just didn't see it, you know. And and obviously, yeah. as well, there's a before and after Vieira with Arsenal. You know, when he was gone, you, there was someone missing in that midfield. You know, he was yeah. the antagonizer. And also, he brought that little elegance that was needed for that midfield uh, defensively, you know. And so, and I loved watching him play. I mean, I thought he was... You know, he's a guy that you want to have on your team to, you know, especially I was say like I played at number 10, someone mm. I can trust behind. I know who's going to do the dirty work for me, but also give me that service. Your thoughts on Vieira real quick. He was someone I never took to. Is he on your Rushmore? No. Okay. No, not, 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 not for me. I find, okay. I find him a stronger version of Angolo Kante. Now, don't get me okay. wrong. That, that means them two people are inc- incredibly good footballers, but I kind of feel like, I don't know where he would fit in in any other era apart from the one he was in. 
and that's why I wouldn't put him on that okay. bracket. If we look at the best of his generation, he's up there. But if we're looking at the best in history, I think he would get lost against some of the other people that we're going to talk about. So very good, but not for me. Not for me. Quite one-dimensional for me. I think I think it's just uh, what I remember watching football younger. You know, it just makes more of an impression mm. when I was – so who do you got next on your Rushmore? Um, for me, it would be Lothar Mateus would be next for me. Um, a player that I – do you know you've got those memories from childhood that you pretend that you know something that happened when you were three, but you don't really. You've just heard it that many times at family gatherings that you've convinced yourself that you do. Mateus is one of them for me a little bit. Like I remember, I remember him being around, but I don't remember that much of his football. But again, someone who you look at his accolades and you look at what he'd done in the game and it's impossible not to put him in. He played in very good sides. His, you know, he's got 150 caps for Germany, which is a record. He got the Ballon d'Or, which for a player in a very unglamorous position is incredible. Um, And he was synonymous with that position for such a long time that, I'm coming at it from a very nostalgic angle and a nostalgic angle where I don't actually remember that much of it. Um, but I look at those numbers, I look at the teams he played for, and I just think, how, how can you not? Yeah, to yeah. Be honest. So I've gone, I've gone a little bit data-driven there, but <laughs> crazy, crazy stats, crazy stats. Yeah, I mean, I would put him for me fifth on my, my Rushmore list. I mean, you know, like you said, my first memories are 90 World Cup and when he had that fabulous goal where he mm. just goes coast to coast, peanut butter and toast against Yugoslavia. <laughs> just that little touch that he extends and then just hits it off from the box. You know, it's it's just an impressive goal and, and you can't argue with the data there. My last person I have on my list is Dunga. And it, more importantly, I think it's more like in this idea of nostalgia for me. Mm. You know, obviously, you know, you can argue with the list, you know, by data and awards. But man, to me, with with Dunga in that side of Brazil and what he was able to do and accomplish as a player, I just... To me, you know, in the, like you said, this position's not glamorous, you know. So it's it's really who is going to be able to do that dirty work, who's can cover, maybe who has the IQ to see that. And to me, I think Dunga was one of the best when I was watching him. You know, yeah. he he was able to control all the flair in front, you know, and that is a hard job to do, especially on a Brazilian national team. Hundred percent. And again, someone who I remember, I remember more as a thing than a person. If that makes his sense, haircut, you know, his haircut. <laughs> you know, I, I I remember him and Tafarel seemed to be Brazil when I was a kid, um, and I don't know why. Um, just this names that stick that stick with yeah. you, um, and you know, a very a clearly a very good player. But again, for me, not not quite there. And Carlos is probably going to get very annoyed when he listens to this, <laughs> and I say, no, not not for me. But again, I think you know, if we're talking about the absolute best of the best. I don't I don't think I'd have him in, but I I don't I don't for one second think that putting him in there is a terrible decision. Um, but not quite for me, because for me, my final one would be um Johan Nishkins. And you know, again, quite clearly I wasn't watching football in the sixties and seventies. Um, but he was a player that when I was getting into football and I became quite a bit of a football geek very early. Um, I think not being in the generation that had wholesale access to 25 football channels, the internet when I wanted it, blah, 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 but still having enough resources I could go and find people. Spent a lot of time just looking at football stuff. And Nishkins comes around time and time and time again. And obviously he played in that great Ajax side and that great Holland side. And I was listening to a podcast last week. It was the Ben Foster podcast, the Fozcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to that, but it's incredible. He, Joe Hart was on. 
and they asked Joe Hart, this this is going somewhere, don't worry, they asked Joe Hart to name his top five Man City players, and he started with Richard Dunn, and, it, and Ben Foster's like, wow, and he's like, he, Joe Hart says he's a footballer's footballer, and I think if you listen to all of the greats of that era talk about the Ajax side, of course they start with Cruyff, but Nishkins is never far away. And I think if we look at what makes the, the players in that position great, and you just said it about Jeopardy, IQ, God, you must have had all of those in spades to play in the Ajax side, because and that's exactly why I love Sergi Busquets. You, you are the last line of defence when you're 60 yards up the pitch. You can't afford to take that extra touch. You can't afford to miscontrol. You can't afford to not play that pass. And that's what we've seen with Busquets in the last two years is those things have crept in. Nishkins would have had exactly the same thing, but without anyone before him that was doing the same thing because of how inventive that side was. Busquets has people he can learn from. Nishkins wouldn't have done in that way. So despite the fact that he's not a player that I have first-hand experience of, I think if we're talking about the true pantheon of greats in that position, Nishkins has to be in there. I'd never seen video of him play, so I'll check him out after the after the after our recording. But yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like yours is more about before and after kind of football moments of like this mm. in history, which which I definitely appreciate. My mine are just like moments of players that I watch and yeah. And yeah. So I think we we kind of overlap a little bit, especially on Busquets and Makaleli. Hundred percent. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get into last night's match. Uh, Barca beat Espanyol four to two. A uh, lot of things coming out of this and a lot of things. Obviously, the brace by Lewandowski, a Balde goal, uh, really great performance all around from Barcelona. Just looked like they were having fun. Again, Barcelona won their 27th La Liga title, and there's a lot to unpack last night, especially more about what happened after the match. But I want to really quickly just touch on the match, and we start, start talking about this season. Man, this season's been just really crazy chaotic and really unpredictable i would say especially mm. from the beginning of the, you know like think about where we were october right the sky was literally going to fall on us <laughs> you know we were still able to to grasp la liga title mm-hmm. you know i really when i was watching the highlights last night cuz la- last night on movistar they were doing kind of a summary of the league and the, of the mm-hmm. season and i think the one thing i get out of this team is that we are we have a core and the future is bright and i think those are two really important aspects because you ask i mean you look across the european landscape right now and a lot of teams are in flux right now and we have a proven core now that have won a title and now we can add pieces we don't have to get superstar pieces but we definitely need to add depth but i think those are the two things i get out of this season what about you 100%. 100%. It kind of feels like we're a tech startup, <laughs> weirdly, oh. <laughs> in, this, in the sense that we know we know that we've got a great idea and we know that people want to buy it, but we know that we're incredibly immature commercially. And I think that's where we are as a team. You know, we have some big problems ahead of us. We are, when you say the sky the sky was going to fall in, the sky might still fall in. Let's not kid ourselves. And I, But what I think this this title does, to your point, is it adds some validity to the project, as Chavi said last night. You know, the, the project needed a trophy and it did. I think he needed it to show that it wasn't just another one of those sentimentality moves that we make as a club from time to time. And I think Laporta needs it to go and do his conjuring act, take the traveling circus around the banks and stock stockbrokers and wealth management firms across Europe and see what he can do. So I think there's lots of things that came together commercially, financially, organizationally with this trophy. But the biggest thing it does is gives a lot of those players the ability to hang around and not be not be seen as foolish. You know, if you're Gavi, if you're Pedri, if you're De Jong, if you're Testegen, you can now say no to, to clubs if you truly want to be here on the back of having a trophy in your back pocket. Whereas 
for some of those players, they're not they're nothing to show from their time at Barcelona other than, you know, quite liking being here or liking the city or there's rumours that De Jong hung around because his missus liked it. All valid reasons, but made much, much easier when you've got a trophy to show for it. So I think a lot of good happened out of this season. The other thing that I, I find strangely pleasing, despite the fact that I don't want to like it, is that I've long yearned for a, a Barca that could win ugly. And and it it's at odds to my entire footballing philosophy. <laughs> but at the same time, to be successful, you've got to have those games where you grind out a win. We probably haven't had enough of the of the opposite, but we finally found a Barcelona with a bit of team spirit after a few years of just being as weak as piss. And that's really pleasing and also quite surprising. So I think a very multifaceted campaign that I think will probably take a long time to truly decipher. I think that's a good point. You know, uh, it, you know these this is these are the reminds me of the Barca of the '90s type of way. You know, the way mm-hmm. it was an up and down season. Uh, you 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 manage the season, but ultimately you get the title. You know, and you know I think we've been obviously jaded, especially under Pep and those you know with Messi to win so many matches by so many goals. Right, it became mm-hmm. second nature. You know, and now it, we kind of regress that, but. It's good to see. I was, you know, like I said, you know, having this younger core go through the lumps, you know, and understand mm-hmm. what it takes to go through uh, a season like this, and more importantly, to be in the first team of Barcelona. The pressure, the ups and downs. I mean, it, you know, when we look back at this season, you, it's almost as though we had five mini seasons. You know, <laughs> it's like going through the gauntlet. 100%. You know, and especially pre and post World Cup. You know, and all those different mm-hmm. things. Now, obviously, you know, with the match, I think overall, you know, I don't think really think there is any, you know, things that stand out for me in the match per se. I, I think we we looked fresh. I think that's the first thing I look at, you know, especially like Lewandowski looking really uh, charged. I think the rest really helped him. Obviously, I would say Rafinha had a good uh, match last night with the assist. Balde, again, continues to be a legend right now. I mean, he is... I mean, that goal last night he took, and if he continues to bulk up a little bit, he's just going to go to the next level. I want to talk about the after-match issue because, to me, when I think of Espanol, I don't think of anything. You know, before I moved here to Spain, I just, you know, didn't even care about Espanol. And to be a rival means you actually have to win matches. You know what I'm saying? And to me, yes, Espanol is in the same city, right? It's in Barcelona. I know there's history and I get all that. But to me, when I think of Espanol, I do not even like even blink an eye. Like I think there's obviously more of a rivalry with Atletico and other teams rather than Espanol. And I know it's in city. But man, the the outcome of what happened last night is just irrehensible. Like last night – in any other sport, Craig, if you win a title, like it's expected that they're going to celebrate. It doesn't mean that they are like pissing on your grave type of attitude, you know, like, for example, in basketball and NBA basketball, if you win, you celebrate and that's it. And I believe, you know, Barcelona is always going to celebrate in a classy way. They're not trying to be out, not classy in a way of, of celebrating. What are your thoughts last night about, especially, you know, obviously what we're talking about is Barcelona wins. They start celebrating in a in the middle of the field. They are circle, you know, doing the jumping and so forth. And all of a sudden the ultras invade the field. Kind of like, what are your thoughts? I mean, you said, you know, some of our American viewers didn't see this. They kept it live yeah. here in Spain. And it was pretty crazy as it was developing because on WhatsApp we were like, oh, this is great. And they were like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, no, invaders. So I don't know what you were able to see in the U.K. 
Yeah, I mean, we we, we they, they played a lot of it actually. I think if that had been in a British ground, I think they would have cut off a lot earlier. I think they, you know, my, my guess is that they don't have full rights over the feed. So they would have to proactively go above that. And so they let it play for a lot longer than you'd expect. I think for me, there's two, there's two things I would say from my perspective. Number one, like as, as a Scot living in England, watching England go through their many golden generations that never win anything, but do all right up to a point. Like I am, I am more than au fait with having little brother syndrome in a sporting capacity. I get it. It's horrible. But there's limits and you're making that you're making that choice. And I think I truly and utterly detest Espanol as a football club because you have to accept what you but you have to accept what you are if you are a fan of those. Like you're always going to be inferior because that's that's what you are. Like you you are not the club of that city. And there is very few reasons to spot that football club. So just accept the fact that you're going to get outplayed. Do I cry every time England qualify for a major tournament? No. Does it annoy me? Yeah. Would I then go and kick my neighbour's door in? No. I, I understand my place. Like I understand that Scotland going and getting a draw is a good result. And people will say, What's, when do you get the trophy for the draw? I get it. I understand the game I'm having to play. The second point I would say, though, is... So I, I studied law at uni and one of my dissertation was on the policing of football fans. Obviously, the UK has got an incredibly difficult relationship with football fans and the police and stuff like that. And at the time, it was there was some legislation going through the UK courts that was incredibly controversial and ended up getting repealed. So it's a, it's a subject that is quite close to my heart in many ways. And what I would say is there is absolutely no chance that the authorities didn't know that was coming. There's no chance both clubs didn't know that was coming. And whilst I think it's very easy to blame people running onto the pitch. I think you also have to understand the scenario that you're in as an organization and make sure it doesn't happen or that you that you act better for it. Barca should not have been allowed to take the center of that state of that pitch. They shouldn't have been allowed to celebrate whether we like it or not. And they should have been told in no uncertain terms that they had to get into the dressing room. So I think there's 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 two there's two fronts here and it's very easy as a Barca fan to say Espanol are scumbags and they are. Um, but at the same time I believe if the if the league really didn't want that to happen they absolutely could have stopped it because it was obvious after what 15 minutes what was coming yeah it's a great point and that's those are all the things right you know in in last night's broadcast they were talking about this idea of having you know previous knowings of what was going to happen and to have more police and you know it's all about the situation and i just i just can't get over how you know they just were Mickey Mouse in the situation and letting them invade the pitch, you know? There wasn't it's, enough security, not enough police, all this idea, you know? It's wild. Like, you see it. Sorry to interrupt you there. You see it. I don't There's know if a, you've seen it on Twitter on Twitter this week, but Everton, for example, uh, in their, not the game they just had, got battered by City, the one before, they were basically dummy running their pitch invasion procedures in case they get relegated or stay up. Now, that's their own fans. Like, they, yeah. they think, right, at the end of the season, we might be in a situation where we, we, we will have to put on the pitch. We need to look at it. You look at it in Scotland, Celtic could have won the league at Ibrox. So they moved the fixture. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't play that fixture, but you know it's coming. They had control of the fixtures. They made sure that that was unlikely to happen. You've seen it in the past where, for example, um, again, if we look at, I'm trying to think of big derbies. If you look at, for example, when Celtic went on a run, when Rangers were um, you know, working their way, working their way back, back up, Celtic players went through a phase of tying flags to post. So they just put stewards on the post. Like You know what's coming. The first time you can be forgiven. This after that you can't be. And so yeah. I think the blame the blame has to lie with Espanol as a football club, um, and and their authorities. And I seen something which is quite interesting, which is that the protests were probably more so at their club than they were at Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what. And I, I'm like, I, I get it, I get it. But at the same time, 
you know what you signed up for, lads. You know what you signed up for. You're a horrible club. You're going to achieve nothing. Sit in the stands, crying with scarves over your face, and just you can't shame your club much more than you have. I, I, I get, yeah. I'm trying to be objective about it, but at the same time, like, what are they truly complaining about? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you, and I think that's what it is too. You know, it's, it's this idea of, uh, you know, protesting their own club of what's happening, right? Because they're about to be, you know. Uh, in relegation, essentially, and so I get all that. I like the way you referred that lady with the scarf over her head because uh, she was she's not. She's <laughs> and then her husband there. was on the phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. She's now very uh, meme famous for sure. Yeah. Now, I mean, again, you, you know, we saw the videos of the celebration last night. Obviously, you could just see the relief, and more importantly, I just I can't get over of how much I love Arahu even more. Of the way he was, I know. How? Why are we discussing if he's going to be the first captain? I just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by this idea. I understand uh, veteranship and all this stuff, but man, he just continues to. I don't know if you saw last night how he made sure everyone else went into the locker room before him. I mean, like, who is this guy? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's leadership, isn't it? And like leadership yeah, comes yeah. in many forms, doesn't it? Totally. And I think you know it's interesting watching this captain's debate play out. Um, and leadership comes in many forms. I don't know if you've seen the Pep quote on Gundogan yesterday. He said, you know, he, he doesn't say much, but when he speaks, everyone listens, and that's leadership. And you're like, yeah, fair. You then also got players like Vieira that will just go and kick someone to show leadership. <laughs> and lead, leadership takes many forms. And I think, um, you know, Araujo is, is someone who leads by by actions, and he? he leads by doing. He leads by putting his body on the line. He leads by lots of very visible visible ways. And, and I can see people following him. Does it does it make him the perfect choice as captain? No, like there's definitely other people. Does it make him better than Sergio Roberto as a captain? Yes, because um, <laughs> you know presumably you need someone on the pitch more often yes. than not. Um, and you know I, I, the only the only way I would see logic in Sergio Roberto, the only thing I see logic in that choice, is that he's been there the longest time. There is probably traditions that you need to follow. There is a way of managing a dressing room that needs some consistency. That's fine. But I was been there a little while as well. So it's not like he's just walked in the. It's not Lewandowski. He's walked in the door a year ago, you know. That's conditioned with a lot of football elsewhere. Araujo has professionally only played for us, I believe. I know he didn't come through this system yeah, yeah, fully, yeah. but I believe he's only been a full-time adult professional footballer at Football Club Barcelona. So, I think Araujo is a great shout. Testegen's a great shout, and I think leadership is something that we've seen a lot of this season from lots of unlikely sources. And I think we've actually missed it from un, from some sources that you would expect a little bit more from. Um, but I think Araujo is is step-by-step step working his way towards being a legend, isn't he? Definitely. I mean, he, he could do no wrong for me. I mean, just I just see all the off-the-field stuff he does. For example, the other day where, you know, where autograph seekers and he saw someone in a wheelchair or something and parked, went over, took pictures with him. Yeah. You know, just like little things, all they all add up, you know? They all add up. And and obviously, I would say, you know, the the peak of it is his performance on the field. For sure, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's meaningless. It's meaningless without it, isn't it? I Correct. think you can you can definitely have your kind of your unsung heroes. Like if you look at Scott Carson at Man City, um, Liverpool had one for a long time as well. These third choice goalkeepers that exist as almost QB three, they exist to make sure the standard of the top two keepers remains. You can have people off the pitch that provide massive leadership for everyone else, but if when you find that person that can do it on the pitch. It's, you know, he's, he's Puyol-esque. I hate to throw those comparisons yeah. around because there's a long way to go yet. But in that sense of you would run through a wall for that man because you know he's probably gone there first anyway. But that's the thing. That, to me, I don't think it's 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 okay to compare him because that's what he that's what he's doing. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's it's one thing if it was, you know, 
it's one thing if it was just five matches and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't know. But now we're, we've we've seen the whole the whole work. You have any other thoughts before we get into? I just wanted to talk about the ref here in Spain. But do you have any other thoughts about the title this season? Yeah, I'd, one from the game. One, I actually weirdly didn't think they actually played that well yesterday. And then we've gone and put four in, but that's a separate conversation, probably <laughs> for a different day. But the one thing I did notice yesterday, which I found really interesting, was was Balde's runs. I don't know if you, I don't know if you were spotting it, but look, the angles he was taking on his runs into the box were very different. A lot, a lot less, uh, a lot less wide. He was being a lot more direct, and he got loads of success. And I think his improvement this season was probably encapsulated in that one game, which is that he's been a revelation. He's been incredibly, uh, incredibly useful for us this year. But he's growing in maturity levels day by day by day. And it's a lot of it's a bit of the busket stuff. It's a lot of the stuff that you don't really see unless you're looking for it. Or if it wasn't there, you would notice it wasn't there. But the amount of success that we got from him yesterday, taking that slightly different route into the box, was really, really good to see. I think we've got an absolute superstar in him. And I think yesterday was his kind of coming of age game for me. Um, and I can think of very few players in the squad that, you know, needed slash deserved that breakout game more than him. Um and so, yeah, that was my overriding player player feedback yesterday was that he just, he had a world. He, he played like an adult yesterday and he's, Correct. you know, he's got the right to be like a kid for a wee bit longer. And then he moved to right back. And then he went to right back. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> it was good, you know? like he right back. He, yeah, he didn't do anything where you were like, oh, uh, what? I mean, obviously when Albert <laughs> came in, you know, he went to right back and he didn't, I mean, he just... Man, I, to me, yeah, I, I love Pedri. I love, you know, all, you know, Gavi and all these players, but for me, bar none right now, I'm the most excited about Balde going forward because I can just see what a difference maker he is, mm-hmm. you know, obviously comparing to Alba. But also, if there is something that he can just kind of work on this offseason, if he can just get his shot off, whew, I mean, that to me is ideal. But again, you know, I love just watching him defend first. You know, yeah. take take all the attack is, is to me is the bonus, but watching him defend his body positioning and the way he just takes out players, yeah. you know, he's just going to get better with with time. So, the last thing I want to talk about is just the ref situation in La Liga going forward. I know it's a, you know, I'm not trying to like pick upon this, but there was a couple things that happened this weekend and I just mm-hmm. can't get over this idea of why the hell do we have VAR and why do we have these refs inside if we're not going to make proper decisions? Now, I don't know if you saw what happened in the Valladolid match. I did. I did. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, For those of you who didn't see, what happened was there was a play via the lead scores and the referee had his back turned, called for halftime. And to me, it's like, why doesn't the ref, and this, this is one of my biggest pet peeves, the ref should always call halftime and game when it's like a change of possession on one side or a dead ball of like the goal. You know what I'm saying? Like when there's no that's not, possibility. That's not the rules, though. I know. That's the rules, that's, though. But like the, 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 ref, the referee in the Valladolid game, the, this is the thing this season, right, is that the standard of refereeing in some countries is atrocious. The standard of refereeing in Scottish football is abysmal. Horrendous. They're not full-time. Worse, the, worse than Spain. Worse than most Sunday leagues. Okay. I would suggest because there's higher pressure. They're not full time. It's it's awful. The refereeing in Spain isn't isn't always perfect, but I think a lot of the time in the in the big leagues, it's been the it's been the laws that has caused the problems, not the interpretation of it all the time. The handball law is minging. Yeah, no one yeah, knows yeah, how to sure. interpret it because it's far too subjective. What I would say on the on the application of the law on the Valladolid game is the referee got that exactly right. There, there is nothing. There is nothing that says you have to let an attack play out, a I know, corner I know, play I know, out, I know, a free know, kick play out. The problem with that is that a lot of referees do, 
and it's consistency. We're all after consistency. If that if that was the case every time, no one has a problem. If the reverse is the same every time, no one has a problem. The, the issue comes when we don't have consistency. And I think the biggest thing that for world football needs to do this summer, other than you know, the fact that we're still fighting homophobia, racism, misogyny in the sport. Granted, yeah. let's commit. Let's let's make sure we're not diminishing those struggles. But the biggest thing on a kind of a purely practical footballing level that the sport needs to do this summer is to take a look at rugby, to take a look at some American sports. I don't think you get it right all the time over the pond and say we have far less controversy when we understand why that person's making that decision. We clearly can't just automate this. We clearly can't just rub robotize roboticize i don't know what the word is yeah, yeah. should have said use robots but yeah we, we can't we var, var is proven and the rollback of var is proven that you can't you can't legislate for everything by using technology you need a human in the middle therefore we need to understand it yeah so i don't know i don't know if you've seen what came out of france um a few times this season but if referees came out ideally live like they do in rugby where something yeah. will pitch and i don't know if you've seen some of the head i don't know if you watch rugby i'm not a massive yeah fan. yeah 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 They'll say, okay, so it looks like we've got head contact. Therefore, the rule says there needs to be head on head contact or something head, you know, something on head contact. It, there needs to be no mitigating circumstances in terms of changes of direction or blocks, blah, 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 blah. Do we have it? Do we have the action? Yes. Do we have any mitigation? No. Therefore, the penalty is this. So, ideally, live like rugby or after the event, like you have in American sports where play will stop and they will then go and review it and you can, you can hear parts of the discussion. It would be impossible to argue because you'd then be back in the realms of I can disagree with you, but I'm not then calling you a cheat or a fraud or there's money in the game or he's being bribed or he's weak or he's bottled it or Madrid would get that or Barca would get that. <laughs> then a human making a decision often in a split second. And I think that is that is the solution to this problem is that we we start making refs up. The thing that you need to do and the argument they always get back is, oh, yeah, but when kids hear the swearing, yeah, but that's not a good thing. That shouldn't yeah. be the way. Yeah. What I do like you do with tackles from behind is say, right, okay, you're now all on mic, like the fact to do in rugby. You swear you're getting off. You'd have yeah, to. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And this is the thing. It's like the consistency, like you said. Like I just it's just one of my pet peeves. I just feel I just feel it's a no-brainer to call, you know, halftime and end of matches when there is no potential of attack or anything like this. Just end it on like something easy. It's, it's like 10 seconds we're talking, right? Like that's just my my that's my pet peeve of playing and when I watch, right? Now. You're right. Like the ref didn't do anything wrong by the law and by the league, but it's just kind of like one of those things. The other thing too, I, I agree. There needs to be this transparency more about this. I, I That's what I love about the rugby referees because you can just understand what they're thinking. Right. And like mm -hmm. you said, if you disagree, but at least you're, you're seeing that the thought process of what's going on. My only thing too also is I, I just want to be able to see, you know, have the referees in the VAR booth to just tackle better calls. Like that's what they're there for. It's not to show up the referee. You are working together to try to make better calls, right? We're trying to eliminate these things because, you know, especially now, you know, these matches for teams that are looking to relegate and get promoted, they are so important. And to have them hinge mm -hmm. on referee calls like this and that, you know, it's the difference between millions and millions of euros for these teams. And so I just want the proper call. I'm okay with having the time stop because I want the call. We have the technology for it. You know, that's, that's my thing. And I don't, you know, obviously this is not, mm. this is not something that's going to get tackled and be done with in the summer, but it's just, you know, these are things just constantly mounting up and especially here in Spain where 
you know, the 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 arrogance of the refs on the field as they, they see everything and they just call it so immediately. And then all of a sudden you see the replay and like the VAR never comes in. Not the, you know, just yeah. to say, hey, take a look, you know, like there needs to be, like you said. They can't though, can they? they, they I can't know, but that, the, the, if, the, if you look at the scope, and I think I, I'm not disagreeing with you. If you look at the scope though, this is when you're saying we've got the technology for it. I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we do is my starting point. We've got the technology for goal line technology. There's definitely things that we could do for time wasting and, and, and end of play. For example, that needs looked at because one might it might be a minute per sub stoppage time in game one, but then it's not done on game two. There's definitely things we do with time. The problem that we have with VAR at the minute in terms of we've got the technology to get the calls right is that it has to be a clear and obvious error. And that is so subjective depending on it, you're, you're second guessing someone's thought process. So I, I don't think technology solves that. Whilst we are such a subjective game, I don't believe that we solve that problem whilst VAR is in its current implications. So I think, again, what FIFA need to look at is, is the statement clear and obvious error when you've got someone's subjective opinion on someone else's subjective opinion where we want to be if we've got the technology? Or do we have the technology to look at things a lot more black and white? And it says, basically, the overall arbiter is this person in VAR or it's the other way around and all that VAR exists to do is to check things like handballs and then and then the rule has to be black or white does it hit his hand or not intention is irrelevant yeah hit your, hit your hand is a penalty it's in the box hit your hand is a penalty don't care whether the deflection don't care about unnatural body positions don't care about un- movements towards the ball don't care about phases of play this is this is the problem that we have by trying to put technology into a game that's always relied on judgment is that I don't think we solve the problem. I personally think that you should basically remove remove as much of the subjective as you can or remove as much of the technology as you can. And you've just got to t- have your cake and eat it. And I think Sky Sports, these sorts of channels, certainly in the UK, the fact that, you know, we've basically got what we asked for here. We spent so many times showing 16 replays of a deflected a deflected ball onto a hand that we've now got what we've asked for. We're reaping what we saw. So I think you've now got to go full, you've got to go whole hog and go towards the VAR technology route and almost root. The referee just becomes someone who stops people hitting each other and gives very obvious things. Or you, yeah, go the other way and you roll VAR really far back. I'm not sure what the answer is, but yeah, right yeah, now sure. the, referee, the, referee, the referees can't win. And yeah, I, I, yeah. Put, put my, I should put my cards on the table here and say I'm a qualified referee, right? So I've got skin yeah. in the game here, but <laughs> referees can't win, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I would say the first step into trying to alleviate all this is to have transparency with the mic on in the match. I think that would 100%. definitely go go a long way because then, you know, the players are going to be on a hot mic. They're going to have to watch their P's and Q's of how they mm-hmm. react and so forth. And I think that's going to go a long way into un- just I just want to understand what the ref is looking or thinking, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we I just want to be privy to that as a fan. And I just think it's a very quick fix for that, right? They wear a microphone, yeah. you get to hear it, and we go on. So, Have you seen the documentary El Arbitro on YouTube? No. It's from a long time ago. Put it this way, Danny Jaque and Carlos Puyol were the captains of Barca and Espanyol when it's on. Okay. It's incredible. Really, really, really good. It's all in Spanish. Um so, you know, I'm sure there's a subtitle version out there somewhere, but it basically follows the referees before the game. And, and, if you, and, and you listen to the dialogue and you see what they're doing. And I think that gives an insight into the pace of the game and the intensity and what they're going through. It's worth a watch. There was also one done on the back of the 2010 World Cup with Howard Webb, really worth a watch. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say is to people out there who've never refereed a game of football is, I don't know how you would do this, but try and do it. 
try and do it. Try and it's you know go and watch it. Go and watch a, a Sunday league. Yeah, go and watch a Sunday league game yeah, and from yeah. the sidelines. Try and give something from the other side of the pitch because at times these referees, even though they're super fit, at 25, 30 yards away, trying to give marginal calls as to whether someone's clicked an ankle, clipped an ankle or a ball. And then we go and watch several replays about it. It is a thankless task. And until we start making up so we can explain it and say, from where I'm stood, I think you've you've taken the ankle. I think the player, if you miss him, is on the thrown goal. Therefore, I've got no choice, in my opinion, to give you a red card. Yeah. That... Again, that person can be wrong. Or, or, or VAR can give that call and say, well, actually, you know, statistically, if we look at it, that covering defender, based on analysis, has got an 89% chance of getting there. Therefore, it's not a red card. It's a yellow this is this is the challenge, but I would say, you know, it's very easy to criticise referees. But I would say those documentaries and and just going back to grassroots and just looking at how hard it is to see things that you have to be given. We've got to help referees more. Without crit, we, we need to. I'm not saying you're doing this, but we need to criticise them less and help them more for the good of the game, because else it's it's never going to improve, and it can ruin games. I don't believe it ever maliciously does, but it can ruin yeah, games. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And like you said, I, I used to ref and I hated every minute, even though it was children. It's horrible. And yeah, it sucks. It's the worst. It's like, you just rather just be playing, you know, <laughs> not dealing with it. So, and you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you literally are the only person on the field that will never win a friend. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. All right, Craig, I think that does it. We're going to watch the parade shortly. I think it's really cool. That's going to be the men and women's together. So that's incredible. Cool. Yeah. 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 Again, another reason why we love this club. So next match is Saturday at home against Real Sociedad. And until next time, Forza Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.